It's like they say, the brightest futures are based on forgotten pasts. Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the works uh, and adapted works and uh, loosely connected spin-offs of adapted works of Brett Easter Ellis. I am your host, Katie Wright. Uh, joining me this week, uh, he's he's back and he's better than ever. <laughs> uh, my dear friend, uh, host of the wonderful podcast, The Filmographers, writer for Arden season two, uh, and all around swell guy, it's Lenny Burnham. Lenny, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, so you and I are talking about perhaps Brady Stanellis's most pivotal work, the seminal classic, American Psycho Two. Uh, so we, we just re- we just rewatched this movie last night. I believe we own it. And uh, Lenny, how was that experience for you? So American Psycho 2, All American Girl, Mm -hmm. uh, is part of the uh, straight-to-DVD sequel boom of the 2000s. Probably the most famous... Uh, and successful movies from this era are the Bring It On, the many Bring It On sequels, and the many American Pie sequels. Uh, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. If you start looking up uh, straight to video sequels, there's a Slapshot Two where instead of Paul Newman, it stars um, who's the who's the worst one? Stephen Baldwin. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was I- Stephen Baldwin also? Did, wasn't he in like a? The, didn't he replace Emilio Estevez in one of the direct-to-DVD um, Mighty Ducks? Probably. I, can I feel like he's that being his. I feel like he's thing. the king of direct-to-DVD sequels. They're the cable guys, also in a lot of them. He was in Tooth Fairy Two and Jingle All the Way Two. Yeah, it feels like probably more. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a was a huge business model for a while. I was reading an article in the Guardian researching this that was talking about how. Pretty much every major studio had like a section of their development department just dedicated to pumping out these sequels. Uh, And, you know, some of them were like pretty related and you could fairly call them a sequel like uh, American Pie Bandcamp, which was the first uh, straight to video sequel is like about Stifler's brother who does like appear in the film and like Eugene Levy is there. So that's like fair. But most of them... You, you cannot say that. And, like, American Psycho 2, uh, like, not only was it a different script that they bought completely unrelated, but even, like, during filming, like, Mila Kunis has stated she did not know she was making American Psycho 2. That's how unrelated it is. <laughs> yeah. They, like, apparently they decided to pivot to making it American Psycho 2 when they were almost done filming and so the the only like the only mentions of Patrick Bateman are in like terrible voiceover and in the like very opening scene of the movie and it's such a bizarre choice American Psycho because like like the bring it on sequels are also incredibly shitty and not worth watching but I like get the concept of like we can have teenage girls like saying fun dialogue and 
middle school girls will watch it at their sleepovers. And I'm like, get that as a business model. But American Psycho is like, the reason that people like it is that it is a cinematic, well-directed movie. There's like no <laughs> other appeal of American Psycho. It's just that it's like really well executed in a like very stylistic, cinematic way. Yeah, it kind of seems like whoever whoever was in charge of making this decision, whatever studio exec, like really didn't get American Psycho and thought it was like Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Um. So. This is something where I, I, you know, I want to be mad at the studio and be like, why? But it is ultimately the fault of us, the consumer. <laughs> us meaning me. <laughs> when we, uh, one day, when we were like probably 18 or 19, we're looking up American Psycho and iTunes was like, do you want to buy American Psycho and American Psycho 2? And I was absolutely unequivocally no hesitations like yes of course I want to do that and we now own this film and like even now being older and a little bit wiser I still like have this fascination with direct-to-video sequels it's like even though when you watch it it always just ends up being like that's just a bad movie and there's nothing interesting about it just like the allure of a distorted, hollow, funhouse mirror version of something you love. I'm just always like, oh, I gotta watch Slapshot too. I gotta find out what that's like. <laughs> oh man, that's such a that's such a cool like the way you describe it makes the whole thing sound so Lynchian. <laughs> yeah, it really reminded me of. Okay, so this is very nerdy, but I just watched it um, in uh, uh, Full Metal Alchemist. How like nothing like new can be made, so you have to like kill two things so like there's this or not necessarily two things you have to like sacrifice a certain amount of things so for instance this guy like kills his daughter and his dog to make this like fucked up monster and you watch it and you're like that why would you do that that's an insane trade-off and that's what it feels like it's like they sacrificed an original movie and the legacy of american psycho and why like just to make this <laughs> yeah so uh, I was trying to I was trying to figure out like what Brett Easton Ellis is on the record saying about this movie uh, that appropriates the title of of his most beloved work and has very little to do with it and is complete garbage um, and he hasn't really said much about it uh, probably because I you know no one gives a shit about it um so it's not it's not necessarily something that's like dragging down his legacy because it's largely forgotten um but uh, he did say in an article that came out in 2001 so while the movie was still in production uh, the movie came out in 2002 uh he said if they're not careful they could end up with something like the pink panther movies which yeah shade at the pink panther that i did not i'm <laughs> too young to get <laughs> I love how specific that is uh, like it, it felt like an absolutely ridiculously specific metaphor to me and then I was like I guess in 2001 like franchises that go on and on forever were like much less of a thing than they are now oh, we yeah. didn't have like Mission Impossible and all that um yeah that's it was true. pretty much just like Pink Panther and James Bond yeah. like there's like a billion of them yeah that's a good point um he says, I've sold the rights, but I really don't know how they ended up with all these rights. <laughs> Just, I, I want to parse that statement forever. <laughs> um, 
basically the book really kind of survives i'm the kind of writer that sees books and movies as two totally different animals so far none of these movies has blotted out the book for the reader so that's like a very apathetic response like <laughs> yeah. he doesn't seem upset it's about it yeah Oh, uh, later he says, I've even heard that they're thinking about doing American Psycho in L.A., American Psycho in Las Vegas, and making a whole franchise out of it. So I feel like that really supports my uh, my theory that whoever's brainchild this was was really like, yeah, this is a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, they, <laughs> I read, uh, I wish I could find more specifics on this, but I only found like a, it mentioned briefly in an interview where... Mila Kunis was talking about how they were planning on making an American Psycho 3 and even though she wouldn't have been involved in it in any way she was still like we have to stop this make a petition there cannot be another one yeah that's amazing (laughs) because yeah she really felt like this severely damaged her career right yeah which is interesting because I would have expected people to just like not know about it but I guess if you're like in the business and it's like there's this actress who's like only done TV and you're going to be like, okay, what was her last movie? And you find out it's American Psycho 2. I get like, I don't know. It's, it's surprising to me because especially like doing filmographers, like so I've seen like actors and so much stuff like Octavia Spencer keeps making bad movies and like just no one knows like because <laughs> no one watched them. But I can see how like when you're in it, it feels like every move is very important, especially like at that critical turning point when she was trying to go from TV to movies. Yeah. And this movie really doesn't have the feeling that some movies have. Um, Some movies that get get fucked with late in production feel kind of like Frankenstein, and you're like, oh, I can see the good movie in there, and it just got distorted. This really feels like solid trash all the way through. So it's like even if it wasn't if it if even if it wasn't forced into an American Psycho sequel, like it still would have been a god awful horror movie. (laughs) Like maybe it would have been more easily forgotten without a recognizable name attached to it and so it wouldn't have been as much of an embarrassment for her yeah also i i hate to say this because i'm a fan but mila kunis is very like straight up bad in this movie yeah she is uh voiceovers sound so much like the character vanessa bayer does on snl who's like a child actress who's like I had to fight my mother. I had to fight my father. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I wonder, because the voiceovers were added so late, and it was when they were pivoting into this American Psycho direction, I wonder if she was trying to do, like, a Harrison Ford Blade Runner thing, oh, where she's maybe, like, I'm going to yeah. do this so bad, they will not use that it. That would make sense, because I feel like, like... Family Guy is, like, made so quickly. Like, she pretty much knows how to just, like, read lines that are put in front of her and, like, be fine. So it does feel like she's, like, actively (laughs) sabotaging it. Yeah. But her her performance on screen is also, like, not good. Um, But uh, I guess it's, like, you'd have to be a real virtuoso to make that script seem anything other than terrible. So kind of, like... For the level of writing that she's working with, I guess she's doing an okay job. Do you want to get? I don't want to spend too much of the of the (laughs) too much of our time digging into all of our specific grievances with this movie because it's wall to wall terrible. Um, But do you want to talk a little bit about like what actually happens in this movie? Yeah, yeah. Let's do a a plot overview. All right. I feel like the opening scene is probably the most significant, especially yeah. for our purposes. <laughs> yes. Um, so it like opens with, you see this little 12-year-old girl who's like tied up and in her 
terrible narration. She's like, some babysitters take you to the park. Some take you to the movies. You don't expect them to take you on a date with Patrick Bateman. (laughs) You see the babysitter's also tied up. Patrick Bateman's gonna gonna fuck her up. But then... uh, And Patrick Bateman is wearing a bathrobe and a frozen, like, gel eye mask, (laughs) which is not something Patrick Bateman would wear while murdering a woman. It's just like they wanted to cover up the guy's face and they're like, oh, you see, in the movie, you see him with a face mask on, so let's put that on him. But, like, clearly he would have dressed up for the date. Anyway. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, so the little girl is tied up and then you don't even see her, like, they don't even try to have it be like she cleverly found her way out of it. It's like the, the... the tape that was tying her up just like drops. Oh, I think she, I think she did a maneuver where she like worked oh, okay. a knife off the table, and she's as she's watching him torture her babysitter, mm. she's quietly sawing right. it off. Well, good for them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So she gets she gets up, she escapes, and she uh, kills Patrick Bateman, and she just leaves. And this is the first of many murders we see her commit where she didn't put in any effort cleaning up her murder and she's still just like never tied. And like this one makes sense because like they wouldn't have records of a kid's like fingerprints or DNA. But the more she kills people and then just leaves them, the less believable it is she would continue to get away with those murders. Yeah. And also, like I said, I didn't want to dig into all the minutia of what's wrong with this movie. But so uh, my other big, my big notes about this scene are they really don't put any effort into justifying why her babysitter took her on a date well okay in fairness that's because it's a twist at the end (laughs) right yes it is a twist but that doesn't that still doesn't explain why the babysitter brought her charge (laughs) when they explain it it makes significantly (laughs) less sense (laughs) um also like for a movie that wants to invoke American Psycho, it really does not have the courage of its convictions. Because when Patrick Bateman is torturing the babysitter, it's just the babysitter tied to a chair, kind of like writhing and like drugged looking with a bleeding nose. And Patrick Bateman is just kind of like hovering around her and sort of like holding something sharp, but like not doing anything and and it seems like it's but it's supposed to create the idea that he's torturing her but he's just kind of like looking at her Uh, it's very strange yeah a really fundamentally disappointing thing about this movie aside from just how bad it is is like it's not violent and it's not sexy you would expect like from like the exciting thing about a trashy direct-to-video sequel to American Psycho is like, sure, they'll just go for it because they have no mm-hmm. dignity whatsoever. Um, but there's no, like, boobs. There's no, like, yeah. guts coming out of people. And it's like, what is the point to making, like, a trashy B-movie sequel to American Psycho? Yeah. I had I, My other thing about this opening scene is, um, so she kills Patrick Bateman... And then you just see her walking out. Like, you don't see the babysitter die. When The last time you see the babysitter, she's still kind of, like, writhing. Yeah. And I really thought it was going to be a twist that she also killed the babysitter. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. It would seem like the, like, whole point of her murdering him would be to save the babysitter. Right. It would have made a lot more sense 
for this character, for like her defining moment to be like her being like, since I killed this killer, grand scheme of things, I'm allowed one innocent <laughs> kill. Like yeah. that would be pretty fun if she only wants to kill killers to be like, that means I <laughs> karmically get to do a little bit of murder. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, jumping forward. Um, so she's in college. She's studying criminology. Yeah, it's okay. It's so boring. So the whole thing about this girl is she's a serial killer who wants to eventually become an FBI agent. And for some reason, they said it. They could have just said it like at Quantico, um, but she's a freshman at just like a regular ass college <laughs> taking an intro criminology class where like. For some reason, everyone else around her seems to also want to become an FBI agent. It's just like a really specific bachelor's degree program. Yeah. And I, by the way, uh, I do hate that I'm like pointing out stuff with like cinema sins level analysis <laughs> of their logic flaws. But it's like so hard with this movie because there's so little going on. I feel like. The only time I experienced, like, brain activity watching this movie was when I was like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine with movies, like, not not quite logically holding together uh, if they make you buy it in the moment. But this movie does, like, the complete opposite of making you buy it in the moment. Like, it puts you in a place of being, like... <laughs> Just like this movie is absolute garbage, and I'm gonna log all the reasons that it's garbage. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very bad. Um, and so, yeah, so because they didn't set it at Quantico and they just set it at a regular ass uh, college, the the stakes of this movie, like the thing that she ends up committing murders over, is that she wants to be William Shatner, her professor's TA, the next semester. But she's a freshman, so she's too young to be a TA. But she's like, they should circumvent the regulations for me. And then when no one listens to her over that, she kills eight people. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Which, again, could be great. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the thing I love and hate about this movie is that, like, she just wants this TA position um, that, like, in her mind is, like, yeah, then I'll definitely become an FBI agent. And it's like, there's so many more steps. You're still just going to be a college sophomore who has a good TA gig. And they and do, they do like, throw out a justification that, like, nine, nine out of ten students who land this specific TA gig get accepted into Quantico because he's, like, the best criminology professor. But it's, you know, whatever. Yeah. But they do, they do at least attempt to justify that. Yeah, but it would be, like funnier if they didn't like <laughs> I feel like yeah. the the moments when this movie gets like closest to being good are when like she's like I need this TA position and like other people are like what <clears throat> but it's so like inconsistent because there's like a, a guy in her class who's like a rich guy and he's willing to give her like a hundred thousand dollars if she like does it if she turns down the TA position so right. he can have it so it like switches between it being like she is a psycho and just being like this takes place in a world where this TA position actually matters that much yeah um but like my, my main the the main thing I like love and hate about that setup of like all of this being for a TA position is just like ultimately the whole movie is just about her being like a huge nerd <laughs> like she's constantly like talking about her GPA mm. 
And I I won't give away all the twists until we're there. There's many, many twists. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the twists implies she's like just some dumbass who like never got good grades. And I love that idea. And it's such a small part of the movie. But I just want to see a movie about a person who is just constantly like, I deserve this because I have a 4.0. And then you find out that's like not true at all. Because yeah. that is something that like only a dumbass would think like actual <laughs> overachievers know that a 4.0 is like the bare minimum and right. you have to do like all this other stuff to have a good resume yeah totally yeah um so so there's all this hubbub about who's gonna be the ta she goes on a date with the rich guy oh no we skipped her first kill Oh, I thought the rich guy was her first no. kill. Who's her There's first the kill? There's the funniest one. Oh, that's right. She goes that's to right. this, like, guidance counselor to get the, uh, to, like, I don't know, turn in her application or something. It's just, yeah. like, a meeting she has. Yeah. Um, and that's when the person is, like, you can't, you just straight up can't do this as a freshman. That's, like, a policy. And she, that night, goes and kills the guidance counselor like that solves the problem. <laughs> like, yeah. It never occurred to her they'll get a new one who will continue to enforce the school yeah. policy. Also, they they tr- like try to do a mislead type thing, even though it's called American Psycho Two All American Girl, and she's holding a scythe on the cover. So it's like you know she's the psycho, but they have when when the um, when the administrator of lady is uh being murdered like the killer is just wearing a black hoodie and you never see the face and they also like it's kind of like set up like the rich guy also has a motive to kill her because she was just like laughing at him and telling him he's not qualified right before um but then her next murder is the rich guy and you just see that it's her killing him um also when she kills the guidance counselor there's like this weird moment where the guidance counselor comes home and her cat is in her microwave and that just like I feel like is the closest thing to like a cool horror movie in this movie except it like doesn't matter at all like she just sees the cat takes it out of the microwave and then the killer like comes up behind her and bashes her head in yeah and then the cat's fine yeah the cat cat eats her brains (laughs) which like honestly I'm I don't like seeing animal death in movies. I think it's a cheap shortcut to getting people to feel sad. Uh, and I'm like, I'm glad the cat didn't die. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's, I, like, it's like, why was that step in there? Like, why yeah. put the cat in the microwave if the cat doesn't get hurt and like nothing comes? Yeah, the cat like being it put seems in the like it's meant to like lure the guidance counselor into a trap, but she like just bashes her over the head. She could have like walked yeah. into the front door and just done it. Yeah, I like, I sort of think like she felt like she had a plan but she executed it poorly like she wanted it to be like she's gonna find her cat dead in the microwave and then she's gonna be like oh who would have done this and then she's gonna turn around and i'm gonna kill her but like she couldn't even execute that level of evil scheme she forgot you gotta put it in the stove <laughs> you gotta put it in the stove um but then i was wondering um so i don't remember american psycho as well as you probably do because you watched it recently mm-hmm. but um when we're, we're watching a YouTube video this guy put up about American Psycho 2, and I noticed there's a part where in American Psycho where there's, like, a cat that the, the ATM is, like, feed me the cat. So oh, I was like, true. were they half-heartedly, like, trying to homage that with it being, like, the microwave wanted her to put the cat in the <laughs> microwave, but we, like, 
Maybe didn't. that's what they thought they were doing. It might, maybe. But they didn't do anything to imply that she yeah, thought the microwave like, was talking to her. I don't know if there's her. something like on the cutting room floor where for yeah, some, some, some reason it didn't work out where the microwave was like, feed me that cat. Yeah, That maybe. would make a lot more sense. That's true. Although it seems, I mean, I don't know which scenes were, were filmed before they decided it was a sequel, but it seems like this would be, would be part of the plot oh, that was yeah, already in place. Yeah, I guess it's probably... A weird coincidence. There. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of many mysteries about this movie that will probably follow us to our graves. Um, so then douchey rich guy who, if you're the world's slowest person, you might think is the killer right now, um, <laughs> asks her out on a date and then sh- they go out on a date. Is that when he offers her the money? Yeah. And it, but he it's really strange he like uh says that his parents are donating a huge library and basically implies that he's like going to get it anyway mm-hmm. but then he's also like so just take the $30,000 and step down yeah. it's really unnecessarily confusing <laughs> <for> <laughs> yeah um and and then she's like let's have sex now and they go back to is it her dorm or his dorm? Uh, they go back to a dorm. Yeah, it's hers. Yeah, it's hers. Okay. And it's filmed in this weird way. They're like in front of this bulletin board, and I think it was a that it was a different filming location because there's like mm. an abrupt cut when he gets on the bed, and I'm really <laughs> like those were not the same room. Yeah. Um. And it, long story short, they don't have sex, and she chokes him to death with a condom. Yeah. They make they really. Make a meal out of her being like, oh, go down the hall and get a condom. It's like, it's so built up. Yeah. And then it's the payoff is just, she chokes him with a condom and then delivers the now iconic The line. money line of this movie. The, the horror line we all quote every day. Ribbed for her pleasure. And then in voiceover, she says, yup, I just killed him. <laughs> and that's another, like, I think that moment is the most, um... Like, really shows what I mean about it, like, not being sexy and not being violent because it feels like it's supposed to be a moment where it's, like, she's getting off on killing a guy or there's, like, some sort... It feels like there is surely supposed to be some sort of psychosexual thing going on, but it's just that she strangles him with a condom. Like, it's the most... Like, a... Like a twelve-year-old's literal interpretation of what you would imagine a psychosexual death scene to be. Yeah, it's really like this movie truly feels like no one involved in the creative process was ever invested at any point. It feels like every single person making this. I I didn't say this up top, but there's a statement from the director that I found that is my favorite statement a director has ever said about one of his films, where he's like. To be honest, it was a paycheck, and I had a lot of bills to pay. <laughs> and God bless him for it. Yeah. I've done worse things for a paycheck. Sure. I, I don't begrudge him that at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really, it just truly feels like no one ever cared. It doesn't feel like somebody cared and then the studios got in the way. It just feels like this went from being bad to being like a shitty thing no one cared about to being like, an unbelievably shitty thing that no one cared about. I do kind of picture the screenwriter really caring. I really imagine like Donald Kaufman being Aww. like, and then we reveal. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that's sweet. I guess I hope I hope for the screenwriters sake that that's not the case but (laughs) but that is kind of sweet um so what's her next murder is it her friend yes her Um, friend who is sleeping with the professor this actually has the moment that i think comes closest to like making rachel be a character you give a shit about who's interesting where like um her friend is talking and you know she's sleeping with the professor so she's like he told me that she's gonna that he's gonna make me the ta that'll be so fun and maybe i'll get into quantico and she says it in like such a like oh yeah that'd be cool way and like (laughs) we know rachel has like obsessed about this since she was 12 and like that comes very close to being like a sort of gossip girly type moment of it just being like you'll get everything so easily yeah that that's an, yeah that's another like moment that if it was just kind of like framed a little differently or executed a little differently it could be it could be good um but it's not um and so she, she she kills her friend she she chokes her and then she makes it look like she hung herself and put a note on her that said he didn't love me enough and then for some reason, William Shatner's the one who finds her. And so he goes through her room and steals all the photos of them together and everything. Yeah. Um, so we should also mention before that uh, Rachel goes and sees a psychiatrist. I don't know why. It seems like That's someone's right. making her. It does. But yeah, I can't remember. No, they I, don't. They literally don't say it. Because I remember oh, I was really? wondering the whole scene. Oh. Why, like, who's making her do this and why? And they definitely do not explain and it. And there wasn't anything beforehand that was like, well, maybe if you get psychiatric clearance. No, it's like, I just, just really assumed I missed there. it. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely, they, somebody had a note that was like, um, remember to explain why she goes to the psychiatrist mm-hmm. later, but then they just didn't get to that. Um, so the reason... Uh, I bring up her going to the psychiatrist and why it's significant is because he gets the feeling that she's a psycho and calls up William Shatner and first Who he's friends with Shatner. <laughs> Everyone in this movie knows each other, he's but fr- they don't notice that half of them die. Yeah, they're like they seem to be like good good friends apparently but then also at a certain point William Shatner is like, "Well, you're my therapist." And it's like, "This guy's got some serious ethic problems yeah i think what um the psychiatrist calling william shatner up and being like this girl's a psycho she's homicidal uh brings up is like one of the fundamental things this movie is really missing is that like american psycho was so about like different point of views you have like patrick's point of view and then the point of view of like the women who are like this guy's weird but also very boring and then you have like the point of view of the guys who are like oh Patrick Bateman's just like a dweeb who could never kill anyone and in this movie there's like none of that there's absolutely only one thing happening and they even at the like skipping ahead at the end of the movie uh when she reveals herself to the psychiatrist she's like she has a line where she's like just goes to show how people surprise you and it's like no, he met you once and was like, this girl is a homicidal maniac. Yeah. And in the scene where she's talking to the psychiatrist, it is it is as though it were a sitcom plot where for some reason someone needed to convince the psychiatrist they were a sociopath. Mm-hmm. And so they very heavy handedly just said all the kind of like boilerplate sociopath stuff they could think of. She's she's just like. 
well I'm I'm entitled to this because it's my destiny and I have to I have to look out for myself because nobody else will so of course I only care about myself and just like every single thing out of her mouth is like how can I convince this man that I am a sociopath yeah it feels like it took like the the big thing of Patrick Bateman of course is him being like there's an idea of Patrick Bateman and it being like there's nothing under the surface he's just this like shallow surface level person but it like took that idea like instead of it like in American Psycho it's like Patrick Bateman the guy is surface level (laughs) but this there like Rachel the character (laughs) only has one thing going on narratively yeah Yeah. Uh, so then there's a really okay so oh so I forgot the reason I brought up this phone call is because they put in this like needless Frasier-esque misunderstanding <laughs> that never pays off. I was going to say Shakespearean, but it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, um, there's a girl in your class who I should warn you is like obsessed with you, which William Shatner is sleeping with so many girls in his class that it kind of makes sense that he's like, I bet one of the girls I'm sleeping with is the one with the dangerous obsession. Um, so it's, it sort of does make sense that like, doctor-patient confidentiality he never reveals the name um but then like we'll we'll talk about it more later but as that misunderstanding goes on for so so long it's just like why why did they do this in the story because it feels like what it should have been for the story is that like he calls up William Shatner and he's like one of the girls in your class is crazy and you have to avoid her which by the way sorry this is another tangent but like the reason I say crazy is because like that is actually how this medical professional talks (laughs) like he will be like she's crazy she's a maniac like everyone in this movie just says stuff like that all the time even if they are trained psychiatric professionals (laughs) yeah all of them are supposed to be either either like psychological criminologists or studying to be in that field or trained psychiatrists and they're all just like she's a loony bird (laughs) um so anyway so it feels like the the reason you would have that misunderstanding is so he could be like one of your students is crazy you need to avoid her and then so he like stops talking to the girl he's sleeping with who he thinks it is one of the girls he's sleeping with who he thinks it is um and then you see like Mila Kunis be like can I talk to you after school and it's like oh no there was a misunderstanding so he's gonna go meet with Mila Kunis because he doesn't know but that doesn't happen at all like (laughs) nothing comes of this misunderstanding yeah uh let's take a quick break and hear about some other excellent programming here on the major hi I'm Eric we'll be right back I'm Liam and I'm Tom We're all experts on something or other. One time, I ate the Declaration of Independence. I can name all 52 playing cards. I have read the back of every cereal box. I've eaten the back of every cereal box that Eric has read. And on our podcast, we tell you all about something that we know nothing about. We speculate wildly. And then we eat cereal boxes, no? No, and then we research that topic. Good catch, Eric. Enjoy such topics as Goofus and Cowlitz. Jenko Jeans. The University of Phoenix. Ooh, the cursed one. <laughs> and many, many more. On We Are Experts. Experts. Oh, were we, did you all want us to say it? No. <laughs> Fridays on the Major Cats Network. Or wherever you find literature.
So, Lenny, while we were on break, I, a little, a half-formed joke occurred to me. All right, hit me. This is what podcasts okay. are for. Yeah. So for for this episode of of the podcast, um, I'm going to change the name to Brett Easton. Hell no. Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, we left off at... It was two minutes ago. I've already forgotten the last so thing we talked about. She, uh, she sees the psychiatrist. He mm-hmm. gives William Shatner a vague warning, mm-hmm. and then she kills the girl William Shatner was sleeping with, and he finds her body, which is the first time in this entire movie that a murder has actually been discovered. Uh, right? Yeah. You never see her covering it up. You never see her like burying a body. People just keep. Not noticing that uh, that bodies are fucking dropping. Yeah, is the next murder the guy that she murders in the library? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Will, are we are we there yet? Are we ready to talk about this? I can't remember anything that happens in between. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, yeah. I'll just say the only thing that happens in between is like Will uh William Shatner calls up the psychiatrist and is like that girl you warned me about committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So then later when he sees me Lacunas walking around he. For some reason, he doesn't get that there must have been a misunderstanding and just cons- just in multiple scenes just keeps being like, why did he tell me that that girl committed suicide when she didn't? <laughs> um, okay, so then we get into her last uh, kill of another student. She's, she's so freaking close to that TA position now. And uh, this guy, she straight up murders in the library and she's wearing a sweatshirt, but she doesn't even have the hood up. It, like, <laughs> she's, yeah, she's just fully murdering a guy in the, in the library. She's such a bad killer. And at the end, jumping ahead, they show photos of the crime scenes that reveal that body apparently never left the library. It's exactly where she killed Yeah, it him. finally gets discovered at the end of the movie, which it's not super clear how much time has passed. Yeah. But it seems like it's going to be at least a week or two. Yeah, enough time <laughs> for someone to notice a body in the so, library. yeah. <laughs> it's an open library. Someone should... That also, that murder... Do you remember what motivated it? That seems like the least he, motivated of her murders. Well, he was just the other person who had a chance at the TA position. Oh, Okay. That's another thing that I think comes close to being like a funny, good character detail that she keeps being like, I definitely have the best record. I absolutely have the best GPA, but then she still kills anyone who has any remote chance of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we never see her like formulating a plan for how to get away with this, even though it's like ev- the only people dying on campus are all the competition for this teacher's assistant position that you keep going around telling people is the thing you obsessively want. Right. And that's like, so like part of me has to assume it's like intentional. And like, obviously that's a big part of American psycho is like, he also shouldn't have gotten away with those murders, but it's just like, everyone is like coked out and empathetic. And also like think he's, he's a dweeb who couldn't murder. So like, almost makes sense but then the other thing going on in this movie is that you know she's a future fbi agent who's like expertise is criminology so it seems like heavily implied she's supposed to be like the perfect serial killer and i don't know if that and they full-on like state that yeah yeah at the end end, they're like (laughs) she was the perfect killer um but 
in fairness, she does like, there's this one moment that's supposed to be the like Rosetta Stone of the whole movie where they're in class and they're talking about Dahmer. They're always talking about very famous killers and just saying like the first sentence of their Wikipedia and everyone's like, ooh, he knows so much about criminology. That's right. This is one thing that I thought was so funny. It was the first time that they show the class like right after she's built up what a big deal he is in the field of criminology. Like His class is like, we're going to be talking about the nicknames that the FBI gave to various serial killers. And then the rest of it is just these students very seriously and like furiously taking notes as he said like, Albert Fish was known as the the boogeyman of what I like and it's just a list of serial killers and their nicknames um. with no additional information <laughs> so there's one scene where they're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer and she's like you see he's both a lunatic and a careful killer and she like has this very basic analysis that's basically like he was very careful until he got sloppy which is how they caught him which i assume is the case with most serial killers (laughs) it's not impressive but it's clearly supposed to be like ooh, she's yeah of course she is a master uh criminologist but then the thing um that like uh sort of explains the story is she's like um could there ever be a killer who planned their downfall as part of their careful plan which like hints at the twist coming so it's like part of her plan was that like the rachel persona would be very bad at these murders and would get caught Mm. um but uh it still it still doesn't doesn't quite quite track yeah because she still needed people to not know that murders were happening until her plan comes to fruition which uh, once again killing someone in a library dead tip off (laughs) yeah and which and also uh you know if if she set up her rachel persona to be seen as a bad killer like we wouldn't see the psychiatrist at the end having written No, because see, at the very end, he's like, oh, she wanted Rachel to get caught so that it would be a completely tied up case and no one would ever look into it further and she could get away. So it was all, like, she wanted it to all be very public that that killer died. Wait, so he knows that? He has that information? Oh, I guess you're right. He does just straight up think yeah. Rachel was a mastermind killer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. yeah he, do- he doesn't have that information. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. So he's like, this girl, like, from his point of view, he's like, this girl killed eight people in a week and then she drove into a lake and drowned. The perfect crime. <laughs> he doesn't know that she actually staged staged her own death using, she's not really Rachel Newman. Is that the character's name yeah she killed rachel newman took over her dorm and her place at college apparently dropped her body in a lake then dredged that body up out of the lake so that uh she could fake her own death by throwing that body back in the lake along with william shatner um so yeah so and nobody nobody ever except for the audience nobody ever finds out that she stole someone's identity uh and faked her own death uh and it seems like she just was rachel newman and then she died yeah, you're right um all right sorry we, we jumped ahead so many twists just there i'm sorry uh, a lot i can't to even remember there's too many and i okay. can't remember so let's try and do the twists chronologically okay okay um, we'll try Hopefully everyone listening has seen American Psycho 2. I don't know. I don't know who the audience is for this. Um, but, um, okay. So 
Twist number one, she's talking to William Shatner and <laughs> reveals that her babysitter who, in the beginning, we thought just went on a date with Patrick Bateman and was an unknowing victim. Actually, that woman was dating William Shatner and knew about Patrick Bateman and purposely went out that night. And it, this should have been the movie. It is such a fascinating series of choices this woman makes. So you see, they do a cutaway flashback where she's like, William Shatner, why are you always looking through files instead of having sex with me? (laughs) And that's when she like sees the Patrick Bateman file. And then she's just like, okay, I bet I can take this guy down. And she's like, her plan is she's like, okay, I'm going to go straight to him, bring along the child I babysit. And that's just like her whole plan. And of of course she gets killed. Like the only reason he ends up getting taken down is because she happened to bring along a murder child. Maybe she knew that. Maybe that was her plan. We'll, Maybe. we'll never know. We'll She's never the most know. mysterious character in all of fiction. Yeah. She just, it's just such a, not just an A to C jump, but like an A to F jump of yeah. her just being like, well, since I'm sleeping with an FBI agent who's tracking down this serial killer, obviously it's time to take the kid I'm babysitting <laughs> to go uh, fall right into his trap. Yeah, man, I would really love for a really good screenwriter to take the facts as we know them about this woman and like craft a thought out screenplay around it. Yes, American Psycho 3, baby. Yes, I would be so interested in seeing like a well thought out justification for this bizarre series of actions that she takes. Also, so, this is so this is small, but uh, but this is the quibble that I want to pick. In the opening scene, they go to all the trouble of putting Patrick Bateman in a dumb gel mask so you won't see his face and you won't be taken out of it knowing that it's not Christian Bale. And then in this flashback scene, when William Shatner's looking at FBI files in bed, he's like, this is Patrick Bateman. And then it's just a stock photo of some random dude who's not Christian Bale. So it's like, why did they even bother? I'd just like to do a pitch off this and suggest that in American Psycho, it seems like heavily implied that he's some dweeb and he sees himself as Christian Bale in his mind. So I think we see the canon Patrick Bateman in American Psycho 2 only. That's great. But then they still should have had the mask off his face in the opening scene, so they're still not off the hook. But I do, I do love, I do love the interp that like in real life Patrick Bateman is this kind of like C-level CW guy. Uh, Okay, Okay, so that's twist number one. Yes. Um, The next twist comes when uh, this guy finally goes to the police because uh, William Shatner goes missing and that's uh, now it's time to care before (laughs) only college students were dying so who gives a shit. Mm -hmm. Um, So he goes to the police and they're, this feels like it has to be intentional. They are, like, comically the worst police of all time. So he, like, goes in and he's like, I'd like to file a missing persons report about William Shatner, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the police literally says, oh, that's funny. His wife wanted to do the same thing. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, 
because he's gone missing. <laughs> like, that's how this works. But he's so like, that's a fun coincidence. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that part is actually supposed to be a joke. <laughs> but it's like the, the movie just hasn't built up your faith enough for you to recognize when characters are intentionally stupid. Um, and then the bad police work just keeps coming because he... Um, he starts telling him how many missing cases, how many missing persons cases there have been. And even though there have been four students killed that week, he goes, I guess like no one, genuinely no one gives a shit about them because he goes all the way back to the beginning of the year. This girl, Rachel, was missing. And then he says, but yeah, we went by her dorm and she was there. So it was just a misunderstanding. And it shows this scene where he goes to the storm of this girl who was missing, who he didn't have a photo of apparently, <laughs> because he just asks, are you Rachel? And Mila Kunis is like, yes, I am. And that was her entire plan for how to steal this girl's identity. Yeah. It also seems like, uh, just based on the fact that she's wearing the same shirt in all of these flashback scenes, it seems like she like murdered the real Rachel and had her body still just there in the room when the cops knocked on the door uh and then like she opened the door and was like yeah no i'm rachel and then closed the door and then like went to have kind of a like villain exposition talk to the dead body (laughs) um so i'm not sure it's either either she killed this girl and took over her life and just kept this rotting corpse in the room for like the for as long as it took for there to be a report that she was missing uh or or she (laughs) killed this girl and then immediately the cops were on her door being like their parents your parents haven't heard from you yeah also it seems like the thing that would make this a perfect plan is this thing of it being like oh it's this girl who just started her freshman year of college like that's so easy to steal their identity as long as, like, you only talk to people at the college, like. Mm. Um, but we know she had friends who reported her missing, so. Yeah. It, yeah, because they say, like, she was an orphan, so it's not her, her family didn't report her missing because she has no family. So that's, like, oh, perfect plan. But then, yeah, what did, what did her friends think when she still never showed up and this other girl was, like, no, I'm Rachel? Like, maybe we're supposed to assume she killed think, all of them yeah. too well i think what's supposed to have happened is this girl is from out of state or whatever so her friends in you know montana called and were like she's missing will you check on her she hasn't called and the police in the college town just went and were like oh no she's there and they oh, just I- like refused to look into it further because they were like no no she's there in the college and all her friends were just like no she's not calling me and they were like no no she's in the dorm oh i really thought that they specifically said that it was like her other friends at the college oh was it okay that's my memory but i don't was, know because she was a freshman who had just started right so I, yeah I but i don't know all you right. can make friends your first week or yeah. whatever I I for I for some reason I really felt like they specified that it was oh, okay. her other friends like from school, but I, maybe I'm wrong. It it doesn't matter. Yeah, but who cares? But yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, this is kind of the only twist in the movie that I kind of like because mm-hmm. again, I just do really like the idea of her just killing someone who got good enough grades to get into a good school and then being like, I worked so hard. I have a four Yeah. Also. All she wants in life is to be this guy's TA 
And then she didn't bother to do her homework to find out what what year you have to be to be the TA. And she took over the life of a freshman. Like, if if her whole end game here was to be this guy's TA, why didn't she kill a junior? Yeah. Well, that brings us to twist number three. <laughs> um, so at the very end, uh, this psychiatrist is at Quantico uh, talking about his book. And... Honestly, good for him for getting a, a book deal off of being like, I met this girl and could tell she was homicidal, but didn't do anything and a bunch <laughs> of people died. Uh, I'm glad he parlayed that into a cash scam. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it just occurred to me, if you're a psychiatrist, you're not allowed to call your friend and be like, this chick's crazy. You are allowed to, if you think someone is homicidal, to go to the police. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't do that until his friend was already dead. Yeah, it seems like he just really casually thinks, like, her personality type is homicidal, but he doesn't... He's like, oh, this chick's crazy. Well, it seems like he... It's just like... Yeah, like, he doesn't think there's an imminent threat, but um, it seems like he's just like, she has the serial killer gene. She's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> she's like Betty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so he's there giving this talk on this girl, passing himself as, off as an expert, even though it's like he gave bad therapy to this killer one time. Um, and then this girl walks up to him, and oh, it's Mila Kunis. And uh, we reveal that after she faked Rachel's death, she then took over the person who already had the William Shatner TA position. Because she'd already been accepted to Quantico. Yes. Which, why didn't she just do that? Why, why didn't she steal the identity of somebody who was at Quantico in the first place? I think you're supposed... What they were going for is that in the end, you realize that was her plan all along. <laughs> and so these things that, like, seemed like errors and probably were, um, were, like, she'll... Um, like, there's stuff, like, towards the end when she is killing William Shatner. She's like, this is it. I'm finally close to Quantico. And it's like, no, you're not. You're a freshman. But then, ooh, actually, uh-huh. she just had to do that fake killing spree and then do her uh, uh, her real genius final kill of taking over this girl and now she is at Quantico which I wanted them I wish the movie started there because I love the idea of it being like yeah okay you orchestrated let's just say the perfect crime and took over this woman's life you're still an 18 year old with a (laughs) semester of college under your belt and I just like love the idea of her walking around Quantico and no one being like you look like an 18-year-old and also can't write an essay. <laughs> yeah, you know, there are not, there's not enough media about, like, stone-cold sociopaths who just, like, aren't that smart or, like, aren't that competent. But I'm sure that exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, just because you have no empathy for other human beings and you're, like, completely willing to do whatever you have to do to get what you want, like, that doesn't mean that you're good at it or or that or that you're yeah. smart yeah see that's what i like is the idea of it just being this movie about this dumbass who just on pure willingness to kill just keeps uh, keeps getting into these positions yeah like um. what's jesse Plemons' character from breaking bad oh named? todd he's yeah. like the only dumb sociopath i can think of <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so it is like, I think somewhat going for this thing of it being like, she did this dumb, obvious plan, so everyone would be like, Rachel killed all these people and then herself. Oh, no, she didn't get away with it. But, oh, she actually did get away with what she really wanted to do. But, like, yeah, as you said, it doesn't quite make sense because the psychiatrist looked at Rachel's dumbass plan and was like, she's the perfect killer. Cops were chasing her and then she died. That is the absolute opposite of the perfect killer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, And and so then in in the final final moment of this movie the the authorities are dredging up the bodies from the lake William Shatner and the real Rachel Newman and there's Mila Kunis and she's saying like well she says in voiceover I needed to have somebody know that I was still alive because if if nobody knew about my entire plan and she looks right into the camera it'd be like I did nothing at all yeah, so I have roll credits. Two comments about this. <laughs> First one is aesthetic. Just like the way she looks at the camera and it freezes is so funny. It, yeah, I like. I really wish the song they played was like "Perfect Day" by Hoku or something. Like that's what I like expected from that moment. And I wish they just like fully leaned into it and just like hit you with that Bob song. Okay, so she's like, I needed someone to know, and then it's like, but. He can just go to someone and say, look at her fingerprints or DNA. (laughs) Like, it's just such a patently bad plan. Like, she is this, the whole point of the movie is she's this perfect FBI agent, and she straight up forgot that forensics evidence (laughs) exists. Yeah, uh, it's incredibly. (laughs) Um, um, You bringing up the kind of, like, freeze frame ending of the movie made me remember that there are a couple of different moments in this movie that just use like the worst type of cinematography I'm not exactly sure what to call it but it's this kind of like halting slow-mo that I sort of associate with like karaoke videos or like really bad early 90s music videos it's like yeah it's like a slow-mo that's kind of like choppy yeah that at a during a certain time I feel like people would use it to kind of convey like this is a memory or this is a vision but it's like it's aged really badly and when you see it you're immediately like this is dated and it's garbage and that's what the movie opens on like the whole Patrick Bateman scene is like uh it opens with that choppy choppy slow-mo and then there's also a, a scene where she's jogging and then she runs down to the river and I guess I guess it's because that's where the body is but you don't really know why she's running down to the river at the time but she's like she like slides down the side of the mountain and that's also in choppy slow-mo and the song that's playing on the soundtrack is something that's like I'm a normal girl regular girl la la <laughs> the the soundtrack choices are just like all like a little off it feels like they like decided basically what like genre they wanted and then each time there was a music cue they just like put on a pandora station (laughs) and like isn't really fitted to the scene yeah um also the transitions are incredibly bad i feel like every cut in this movie is like just like one step above like a star wipe (laughs) absolutely well lenny yeah that's the end of the movie do you have anything else that you want to say about it 
I for we move feel forward. like I have so much to say <laughs> about it. I, I feel like I have not done justice to the experience of this film. <laughs> but um, no, I guess there just there are not words to convey how just aesthetically empty this is and how thematically <laughs> empty it is. Like not yet, there's that's another thing is like such a big thing about American Psycho is like defining that era. And they don't even do it in like a really lazy way where like there's never a point where like someone's like, like I expected the psychiatrist to be like, that's the thing about your generation or something. But they don't even do like a bad version of it. There's just like no cultural commentary in this movie. I feel like you can sort of like read into it and think about how like, you know, as time has gone on, there's like more and more pressure on people to like, have perfect grades in school and like overachieve and like everything is getting harder but I don't even think that is like intentional I think they just thought she should have some really intense goal and they just like picked that yeah I think you you really said it with thematically empty (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's really nothing going on here I think you read the same article um the same old article about this movie that I read um but one thing that we didn't mention was that the reason that this movie came into being was that the um the production company or whoever it was the executives wanted um rules of attraction the rules of attraction movie came out the same year as this movie uh and the executives wanted the director roger avery to work a serial killer into the rules of attraction and he was like i will not do that so then they were like fine then we'll make american psycho too very strange. And I think, you know, I think a serial killer could have worked in the Rules of Attraction just fine. <laughs> so Patrick Bateman's already in the Rules of Attraction. You just yeah. got to have him kill somebody but, and uh, you're done. I can see why. I mean, I, no, I, I mean, certainly <laughs> wouldn't add a plot element to my movie if I didn't have to. No, just me like neither. That. Certainly, I'm sure, I'm sure that movie is better off without, um, without that added element. But I think that movie plus that element would be incalculably better than this movie. Sure, yeah. I, I went on Twitter to see if Brett has done any tweeting about American Psycho mm. 2. Not much, but here's he's, he's mentioned it twice. Uh, almost exactly one year apart. What's the significance of this? I do not know. So <laughs> on July 26, 2011, he said... Watching terrible romantic comedy last night, realized Justin has a nice ass, and that Mila starred in American Psycho 2, All-American Girl. (laughs) I (laughs) truly love that when he's watching anything, he is like, can this be connected to me? (laughs) If I achieved any amount of cultural significance, I would absolutely do the same thing. Same, for sure. (laughs) So then, one year and five days later... On July 31st, 2012, my man says, Dexter sucks big time. A high concept, cutesy serial killer drama that has as much depth and scares as an episode of American Psycho 2. Which makes me think that he thought American Psycho 2 was a TV show because he says an episode of American Psycho 2. (laughs) Um, That's it. Before we downloaded American Psycho 2 and watched it, 
low those many years ago I always thought that it was like a really legitimate movie because the one the one video store that I frequented the most as a kid just always had American Psycho 2 like faced out on the shelf uh and I I got like super familiar with the cover before I ever knew anything about American Psycho um and I was just like yep there's that iconic movie American Psycho 2 the girl with the scythe (laughs) and uh and that's just weird to think about, you know? Life's crazy. <laughs> uh, Lenny, yeah. uh, before we move into recommendations and close this thing out, uh, do, you, uh, do you have any Bre- any Brett thoughts you want to share? Oh. You want to do any Brett chat? <laughs> um, I was not expecting this. Um, no pressure. I can edit it out if you he's don't. He's very hot. <laughs> I love that classic black hoodie, black suit jacket look. Mm. It's a good look. Yeah. Somebody on Twitter said that he single-handedly made that look uncool, but I think he looks cool. He does, yeah. There's plenty about him to complain about, but I don't think his clothing choices are in there. It's maybe the only thing about him that's unimpeachable. Uh, Lenny. Yeah. If you were going to make an American Psycho 2, that could be as loosely or as closely related to the original as you want. Uh, what would your pitch for American Psycho 2 be? I feel like the obvious trashier, schlockier American Psycho 2 to make is like a sexy blonde sex worker gets away and as revenge after seeing, you know, her two friends getting chainsawed up, she's like, okay, now I'm going to go on a killing spree of douchey Wall Street guys. I would love that. Thanks. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, I'd like to pay you to make that film. Oh, thank you. Uh... All right, so uh, Lenny, it's time to rate this bad boy. (laughs) Uh, I always rate whatever we review on a scale of one to five somethings from the work. So instead of stars, it'll be one to five whatevers. Uh, So uh, what's your scale and what do you give this movie? Okay, so here's my thought process. I, I definitely like can watch this movie more than a lot of other movies on like a just like a visceral what is bearable to me level it's not like one of the worst movies I've ever seen mm-hmm. but just like from an objective standpoint it definitely is more just like bad on every level bad directing bad editing bad acting bad writing than than most movies I've seen so even though I don't like hate it on like a personal you could not pay me to watch that kind of level. It is truly objectively bad. And so I am going to give it one ribbed for her pleasure condom. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think you really said it. It is something that I don't I don't mind watching and pointing out how bad it is. Um, it's not, it's a lot of like truly awful movies kind of, like drag you down into a bog of despair and it doesn't really leave that kind of like stink on you it's pretty it's easy to shrug off it's pretty disposable and like harmlessly terrible um and I could see like I don't I don't really love watching like so bad they're good movies but I could see if you're like a birdemic uh, kind of person like our good friend Sarah Gollum <laughs> uh, or the the nice people at How Did This Get Made like if you love shitty movies this might be a fun one to like watch and make fun of um, 
to me, it's not really fun because it seems like, you know, no one, no one ever thought they were making anything good. So it's kind of not that fun to watch uh, an output that's just like, yeah, we didn't try. So then it came out bad. Um, so uh, I completely agree. Uh, on a scale of one to five unearned Quantico positions, <laughs> I give it one unearned Quantico position. Uh, so, uh, before we say goodbye, I like to give my listeners an opportunity to balance out their media diet with something that was not made by uh, a cis white man. Or, you know, you're my guest. You did me the favor of being here. If you want to recommend something that's also by a cis white man, that's fine. I truly love that <laughs> your rule for this category is always something that's not by a cis white man or something that's by a cis white man. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. So far, every single person has stepped up and recommended something not by a cis white man. But, uh, you know, in case somebody ever panics and is like, the only thing I can think of is Fight Club. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to allow it. Um, so I always recommend a book that is not by a cis white man. My guest is welcome to recommend whatever they want. And I do mean whatever you want. Because when Lizandri was here, they recommended like 10 things. And one of them was a candle. <laughs> Specific candle scent. <laughs> I um, wish I had the energy of Lizandri. <laughs> I know, right? They're the best. Uh, Liz, hi. How are you? Um, okay, so... Uh, Lenny, do you know what you'd like to recommend? Uh, yes, I do. This isn't an actual recommendation. It's just something I want to bring up book-wise that I think anyone who is listening to this podcast should know about. If you're interested in um, American Psycho 2, All-American Girl, I have not read this book, but there is a canon divergent Gossip Girl book called Gossip Girl Psycho Killer, and I feel like... Even though I haven't read it, I'm 100% confident it does a better job of being a female-driven, millennial, spiritual successor to American Psycho <laughs> than this film does. Do you know who the killer is, or is that the mystery? I think it's Serena and Blair both kill Nate, but I'm not <laughs> sure. They kill Nate? Why would you kill Nate when Chuck's right there? I, th- I think they might kill all the male characters. Okay, I'm not that's sure. fine. Anyway, um, th- this is perfect. It's not spoilers, because I'm totally guessing. <laughs> Um, okay, but my actual recommendation, and I'm sorry to ruin it, I didn't know that no one else had recommended something by, by a cis white man before. <laughs> no I, when you said that, I started to like hastily check IMDb to see if I had any backups. Uh, I'm sorry, it's totally But fine. I'm just going to go for it. Um, so I'm going to recommend the movie Election mm-hmm. because honestly, much more than American Psycho, that's the movie that I kept being like, that's what you should watch instead of American Psycho 2. Because, like, the closest American Psycho 2 ever gets to being good is just, like, how weird and uptight this girl is with the very small stakes thing of this teacher's aides position. And, like, every time she's, like, flipping out and being like, it's my destiny to be his teacher's aide. I need to have that. I'm just like, they're trying so hard to do Tracy Flick from Election, and it's just completely falling apart. Um, So, yeah, you should watch election because it does it does not have any murder in it sadly but almost everything else this movie tries to do it has like a type a uh goody goody two shoes protagonist i guess she's not the protagonist but main uh significant character who you just uh i mean i don't hate her but like who is very hateable despite like 
working hard and being qualified and deserving things. Um, and it does teacher-student relationships better. Uh, and it does uh, voiceover much, much better. Because, <laughs> like, the voiceover in American Psycho 2 will just be like, you see her kill someone. And then the voiceover is like, yep, I killed him. <laughs> um, and election is like, hmm, maybe voiceover should add to this story. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to recommend something that's murder-free because I know that is a uh, always a wonderful part of any any movie is getting to see lots and lots of body drops. <laughs> but other than that, I think that Election is the perfect substitute for American Psycho 2 All-American Girl. Yeah, you know, uh, I sort of had Election in the back of my head while I was watching American Psycho 2 as well. There And... and, and um, yeah, I I also kind of thought of that comparison, but I didn't really I didn't really think of just on how many levels American Psycho Two is kind of trying to do a lot of things that Election does like perfectly. Uh, so yeah, that's a really good recommendation. And even though there are no murders or even attempted murders in Election, um, the kind of like there's like a psychological darkness yeah. to it that I think lands. And is much more disturbing than anything in American Psycho 2. Yeah, I love movies like that. Like, like Election and, like, In the House. Yeah, Where they, like, feel like a psychosexual drama, but then if you just explained the plot, you're like, nothing happens in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's honestly, like, yeah, I love that so much. And I think it's, like, so much more, like, true to life like our own lives get fucked up in like really dark ways but most of the time it's just like yeah you know I was dating this guy and he was just always talking about my car (laughs) yeah anytime I try to explain like a bad roommate or a bad boyfriend or something where it's like I felt like I was in a horror movie at the time it's just like is impossible to explain so yeah like something like election that's just like Ooh, and then I saw that someone had tore my sign down. You're like, that movie gets it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so great recommendation. I think that that's a great one to be our first, uh, our first work by a cis white man. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, and my recommendation has nothing to do with American Psycho 2 or with Brady Sonellis, um, but it is uh, by an author who you actually introduced me to, Lenny. Um, my recommendation is by the romance author Susan Elizabeth Phillips, and the book I'm recommending is uh, Fancy Pants. I've read a bunch of Susan Elizabeth Phillips romance novels, and almost all of them are really, really great, and I like, I think a lot of people, before I actually started reading romance, just kind of had a reflexive disdain for it just kind of a feeling of like oh yeah you know it's just like these kind of boilerplate like melodramatic plot lines it's just like shirtless fabio on the cover it's just like bodice rippers or whatever um but then i started reading susan elizabeth phillips and it's like oh right obviously like these are really good stories with really good characters and they're really interesting and it's just kind of you know the central like the central plot the central theme is love and a relationship uh and that's like that's fine there's no reason to look down on that um so yeah I love there are a lot of Susan Elizabeth Phillips novels that I love but my favorite one is Fancy Pants which is about um a super wealthy like European socialite girl who gets kind of um 
disowned by her family and she comes to the United States with nothing, but she still has the, these like aristocratic, like snooty attitudes. And she meets this very like salt of the earth golfer, professional golfer, um, who is like very low class, but has, has gotten really successful and is really wealthy. Um, and, uh, when I started reading this novel for the first time, I was like, you know what, even if I love this novel, like, I'm never going to like this female lead. She is just, like, such a ridiculous, pompous, like, entitled, horrible woman. Um, I will never like her. But you know what? Damned if I didn't love her by the end of that book. And that's the magic of Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Um, and one thing I really love that she does, I in particular really love um, books that kind of span generations. And she almost always will start out telling the story of the parents of the protagonist and she'll kind of like talk about the parents even like the parents childhoods and then like their marriage and then their child and their child's childhood and then growing up and then we reach the point where the protagonist is an adult and now like the romance plot line starts and we have this whole we have their whole life story and also like their family's life story um to kind of give this extra depth to like why they have the relationship problems that they have or why it feels like they won't find love uh that just makes it more all the more gratifying when they finally do so uh so my recommendation for this episode is fancy pants by susan elizabeth phillips uh, and a special, special shout out to your mom <laughs> for recommending that author to you that, the, that you then recommended to me. Uh, Lenny, yeah. what would you like to plug? Ooh, okay. Um, the Filmographers podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's where I watch an actor's entire filmography. I surprisingly have not had that many direct-to-video sequels come up yet. I think the only one has been Cruel Intentions 2 with Amy Adams, which is (laughs) truly a great and very confusing one because um, most direct-to-video sequels, the problem is the plot is completely unrelated, but that one has the opposite (laughs) problem where they did the exact same plot, sometimes verbatim dialogue included. (laughs) Yeah. really shocking um so yeah check it out if you want to hear me just uh largely losing my mind because i have to watch so many bad movies but also occasionally having some great wrecks like election (laughs) um and then you can also check out bonus episodes at patreon.com slash lenny burnham uh i just recently did an episode with katie where we talk about what are the most Brett Easton LSE episodes of television so it's a bit of a crossover episode (laughs) and it'll probably I mean I guess I shouldn't say this because I want you to subscribe to the Patreon but that episode will probably be unlocked next month (laughs) but uh give Lenny your money he he watched every single Paul Newman movie because I made him uh I used I used to co-host the filmographers and it was just too much for me man (laughs) um so yeah, it takes a lot of emotional labor to pick <laughs> to pick one actor and watch every single thing they've done. And I applaud you for that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I 
I used to be like, this is exhausting, and now it just rolls off my back. <laughs> and any movie, I'm just like, yeah, sure, I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> God bless you. <ya. laughs> uh, you can also um, check out our network's Patreon. Um, just search for you. Just search for media majors on Patreon, right? Is that how Patreon works? I think. Or it's is major there a cast, URL? Right? Yes. Media Majors is a podcast. I I always get them confused. (laughs) Media Majors is a really good podcast. Our friends Liam and Tom, who also are the co-creators of this network, uh, host it. And I listen to it regularly. And it's super enjoyable. But it's not the name of this network. This network is called MajorCast. And uh, we have a a network Patreon. um, We're just kind of building up a pot to occasionally reimburse ourselves for the small expenses that come along with podcasting. It can get expensive, you guys. So, so if you want to kick a little money our way, um, it's major casts on uh, on Patreon. We would really appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, and uh, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Katie L. Wright. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Brett Easton Pod, and you can follow Lenny on Twitter at Lenny 